Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 66 of the F1 Show for coverage of the 2010 Bahrain Grand Prix. I'm Robin Warner. And I'm Jim Lau, and we've got an update on the state of things since our last show, our take on the local flavor of Bahrain, practice, qualifying, and race results, and uh, a lot of interesting discussion like you always listen to the show for. Uh, Only better. Like uh, talking about Alonso at Ferrari, Michael Schumacher's triumphant return at Mercedes, the effects of the rule changes, and as always, listener feedback, trivia, and predictions. So let's get into it. What the hell was that? Dude, that's our new stinger, they're called. It's uh, something I learned about in the offseason, part of the new F1 show that we're doing here. Oh, man, that just zips the show right along, doesn't it? And I happen to be proud to say that is you recording. That is you behind the video camera when we went to the uh, Indianapolis GP a couple years ago. That is an ago. F1 show original uh, pieces of uh, audio there. That's Pretty great. Pretty darn brilliant. Back in the uh, the old V10 era, I believe. <laughs> Alrighty. Uh, so we've got a... a Clearly, a lot's been happening uh, in the, the run-up to the race here. We've got uh, news since the last show, and the biggest thing for us has been the implosion, really, of USF1. It's, it's just so disappointing. I, I am actually angry about the whole thing. Uh, Peter Windsor was early to come out with the news that the U.S. is going to have their own F1 team. We've been working on this for six years. We've been talking with Bernie. We've been talking with Max Mosley. Ken Anderson's awesome. We're going to change the way Formula One teams are made. We're going to do it on a smaller budget. It'll be really brilliant. It's going to be awesome. We're going to be there for 2010. And then all of a sudden, 2010's here. Nothing. Yeah, and, and until I mean, the news really started coming out, there was not an official uh, message from USF1 saying, hey, this is the deal. This isn't going to happen. It was like the the standing sort of comments from Peter Windsor were, oh, we will be in Bahrain. Anyone who's criticizing us is just making stuff up. And why would you expect that we're not going to be there? And right. what's the problem? Um, and there was no, you know, there was no sort of uh, out, you know, there, there, nothing from the team, no press releases or anything to saying what was going on. So it was, uh, I think, um, I, I read some comments in, uh, in an article online to the effect that uh, Peter Windsor was sort of banking on the credibility he has with the F1 community as a journalist and sort of assuming, yeah, he can just come out and make these statements and, and sort of criticize people for um, you know, making conjectures and that what, what he says people will listen to because he's respected as a journalist and all that, uh, which he is as a journalist. But I think he loses that when he switches over to becoming a team principal, and he's got to earn that respect from people. And, and to him, for him to just come out as a brand-new team principal of a team which has not yet had a car ever shown and they haven't had any pictures of a seat fitting or anything like that for him to come out on the website and, and in, you know, in different articles and interviews and say, oh, yeah, no, we're going to be at Bahrain. Oh, why is everyone criticizing yeah. us? That's lame. Um, and especially the, the tone that, uh, that he took originally was like, oh, now this is just becoming public. But all this work behind USF1 has really been going on for years. And like this is you, what you guys are seeing is the tip of the iceberg. Right. And then to come find out, you know, through some there were even just like blog posts from disgruntled employees and all kinds of crazy things that like, oh, well, the, you know, the, yeah, the factory's still going, but no one's been getting paychecks. And now we're not getting things from suppliers because we're falling behind on money commitments. Like it sounded yeah. like it really just kind of started falling off the hinges. Right. And I, I think it just shows that um, there were – if nothing else, one major failing of Peter Windsor was falsely adding so much confidence about uh, them being on the grid in 2010. Uh, it would not have taken much effort to temper the mood a little bit and say, well, this is our goal. Things are very encouraging. We really want this to happen. But we still have a lot of tasks ahead of us, a lot of large hurdles to get over. 
None of that was said. It was, we will be there. This will happen. And then they just even made false claims about having a test at um, uh, at a racetrack in Birmingham, yeah, Alabama, Park, England, yeah. and uh, and all sorts of things. The car's going to be ready here. The car's going to be ready there. Yeah. Just uh, utterly disappointing. And frankly, I am angry. And I, I'm even, I'm a little ticked at Speed TV for uh, blowing it off as passively as they did for the... Uh, F1 fans here in the States that saw speed coverage, they said, oh, yeah, but it's really difficult and blah, blah, blah. It's like, you know what? Based on their claims, they should have had this thing locked. They should have been the first team out with a car, new team. They should have been the first new team out with a car. There should have been at least one American driver in that car, and this should not have happened. So I think there were some serious failings, and I think we as Americans especially have to be honest and frank about the fact that it wasn't just tough circumstances. It was poor execution by those principals, Ken Anderson and Peter Windsor. Right. Well, I, I think this happens anytime a racing team fails because the, the, I think the nature of putting together a team is a lot of kind of chicken and egg kind of problems where um, sponsors don't want to give a whole bunch of money until they can see that there's going to be some kind of results and you can't build a car and do that without any money, without any investment. Um, and then a lot of that, once the car is even put together with the driver and everything, uh, people are still waiting to see how well you do once the races are actually run. So it's a lot of uh, things waiting, uh, you know, money waiting on on, on results and results waiting on money. Um, and I guess in a normal situation, I mean, if I were setting up a brand new Formula One team, uh, you know, near Silverstone or something in England, it wouldn't be that big of a deal if people had, uh, you know, maybe changed jobs or maybe, uh, you know, signed on with contracts and all that. But the nature of USF1 being so different and having such a different strategy, I mean, people moved across the country, people moved across the world to take Absolutely. part in this. And Absolutely. Because it was such a big, uh, you know, I mean, these contracts, I'm sure, were with companies, you know, composites companies and all these things that had never dealt with Formula One. And it was probably a big step and took a lot of negotiating to say, hey, this is going to be something great. This is going to be something different. Right, you need to right. sign on with this. And now they've gotten burned. So it's it's in a way, it's the same as, as any time a new F1 team fails or a new racing team of any kind fails. But in a way, it's a lot bigger because of all the all the people that stuck their necks out right. and all the you know all the promises that were made. And it goes back to what you said about um, you know credibility as a team principal versus credibility as a journalist and. I think what that ultimately stems from is tone, the level of confidence, almost the arrogance. They said, no, we will be there. This will happen. We've been planning this for years. So obviously there was a level of deception there. It might have been a low level, but there was a level of deception there. And um, uh, I think that's, I think, the worst part. If, if the tone had just been 10 degrees different, it would have been a much more understandable circumstance, I think, if there was just a little bit more honesty. Again, I think the difficulty is that is a hard line to trend because you don't want to sound wishy-washy and unconfident to potential sponsors. Yeah. But at the same time, it's risk-reward. Especially when that's part of what uh, Peter Windsor was promising is being a more open and accessible team. And, oh, yes. yeah, people can come and see how we build a Formula 1 car. We'll be exposed to the media and all that. And then for them to go out and yeah, have taking, little Taking exposure. cues, some of the things that NASCAR does really well, that was part of... USF1's approach, but yes. uh, it, it, without, you know, when you're dishonest, even to a, 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 a minor level of just not, you know, not being fully um, um, forthcoming about the, the difficulty of the tasks ahead, um, that's still a level of dishonesty, and I think that's what happened, and that's what's extraordinarily frustrating. Right. Me. So I think uh, hopefully we'll see something from Peter Windsor. I mean, he hasn't even really been involved in the press even since the whole well, thing has fallen and, apart. Well, and the reason is, according to Speed anyway, that the FIA has 
basically mandated that USF1 and all media stay quiet about this until they figure out what they're going to yeah, do, there's basically. Some potential like. sanctions and lawsuits and different things. So we'll have to see how that pans out. Yeah. Um, in the meantime, it is kind of frustrating. I don't give, I don't, I don't put down Speed Channel for not holding them over the coals because I don't see what good that does at this point. But uh, certainly uh, as Americans, I mean, I was with all the, all the online, you know, joking and everything, people making fun of USF one and, Oh wow, their car is going to be crap. And Oh, who's ever thought of an American car as being fast or good or whatever. It was, you know, going to be great. It's like, Oh yeah, let's wait till the car goes out and then we'll actually see, maybe it could be good and maybe get a U.S. driver and it'll be great. So I, I feel a little bit let down in that way. Um, we still have the Corvette, but- Le Mans. GT1. Yeah, man. Yeah, so, but, America. Uh, anyway, uh, let's let's you know move on. We've got uh, that. That's for now. Anyway, that's in the past. Uh, and uh, let's get on with uh, with Bahrain. Well, no, hold on. Now, the, the the other thing that's almost almost as equally frustrating is we were basically promised twenty six cars, and Stefan GP was there to fill the gap and give us twenty six cars. They had Toyota technology. They had Toyota knowledge, and they had Toyota engines. And supposedly USF1 was even working on a deal with uh, with either them or with Campos Meta, who turned into HRT. HRT, uh, yes. So there's – yeah, there were a couple of possible possible outcomes that, that uh, didn't involve, you know, some kind of dealings with USF1 still being involved. But and, and the those FIA said out. no. They yeah. said no, which sucks because they spent all that money. They had all that time and everything else. The only bright side I can see from that is that Jacques Villeneuve did not, in fact, make his comeback. <laughs> so we have that to look. Uh, we have that to look at as a silver lining, as a bright side. All righty, yeah. So, so that's that's the the state of things uh, in a nutshell up until now. Um, but like I mentioned, we uh, we did have a race this weekend in Bahrain. For those of you who are new to the F1 show, you may not know, but uh, Robin and I always like to get a little bit of local flavor of uh, the different races, uh, you know, of the countries in which the races are held. Actually, we like to get as much of the local flavor as possible. Yeah, and we, we don't mean that. We, we literally mean flavor. I mean, <laughs> as in uh, if, if it's Italian race, we'll get Italian food. If it's, uh, you know, British, we'll go fish and chips or whatever. Um, this week was uh, a little bit of an exception, and it was the Bahrain GP, um, which in a way is very international. You know, yes. there's people from all over Europe. It's a very central location, all that. Right. Um, yes. But as it happens, it's also the 14th of March, which for any math nerds, uh, they know is three Pi day. three fourteen. I guess it's fourteen three in some of the rest of the world, but here it's three fourteen, which means it's uh, <laughs> it's the closest to, to Pi day of three point one four. So that tradition actually trumped the uh, the Bahrain tradition a little bit. So but it's okay at a restaurant called Pi, which has lots of European food. So. It was right. close. We made it work. Yes. Jim and I did not eat pork. Right. And we did not have alcohol. So in the Bahrain, sort of the Middle East tradition yes. uh, of international food from all over the place, but with uh, kind of, you know, keeping with uh, a couple of rules, we, we made it work. And so it was, we basically nailed it, I think, is, I, is what we're getting at here. I think we pretty much did the best possible meal for the Bahrain Grand Prix. However, we also learned later on that Bahrain is actually one of the few countries in the Middle East that doesn't ban alcohol, so we didn't, we, you know, but we nailed it. it. Still nailed it. Nailed it. And uh, as as moving forward, I mean, some of the races have sort of more obvious tie-ins than others as far as food and all that. Like and, uh, Vegemite for it, the next couple. Oh, Vegemite. Oh. <laughs> Maybe we go with a little shrimp on the barbie or yeah. something. I don't know, hey, but... hey, is that pie restaurant going to be open too? Yeah, every, every, every Australian fan goes, yeah, oh, I have some Vegemite with a little, like, <laughs> wink, smiley face. So I'm, I'm sure this stuff is terrible, although I still actually have never had it. But yeah. uh, all right. Um, anyway, <laughs> never will. Hopefully, let's let's get on with some actual race coverage. Sounds good. And after several months and 
testing that we didn't know what fuel loads were on, whether it was short runs, long runs, what the deal was, whatever, blah, blah, blah. This was actual practice at the actual race to see what was going on. And it was interesting. I mean, there was uh, definitely a trend. The big four were definitely starting to stand out as, yes, they were going to be the leading teams. Yeah. First of all, I think it was just great to finally see all the cars on track. I mean, keep in mind, uh, this is the first uh, of... First of of any time for um, the the HRT team to be, yep. be on any track anywhere. Bruno Senna <laughs> finally got to get behind the wheel of a Formula One car and turn a lap. And Karun Chanda or Karun Chandok actually didn't yet on Friday, but yeah. we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah, that, that's uh, coming so, too. And, you know, and then and then a couple of these sort of last minute announcements, like the new uh, HP sponsorship on the Renaults and all this stuff. So like a lot of things that were in flux up through all the testing and everything. Uh, Pales in just, comparison with a lot of sponsorship, but <laughs> which was a funny thing in itself. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, just to get all the cars out there, and they're still you know doing some some. Um, some, uh, long runs and short runs and different things with fuel and all that. Uh, some of the interesting outcomes, you know, apparently Red Bull claimed they could get a tire change or, or a complete pit stop uh, as obviously there's no refueling down to 1.8 seconds. Uh, which, wicked, wicked fast. Yeah, I, I mean, that's... Adrian Newey designed the uh, pit stop, so it was really aerodynamic. Yeah, and that, I mean, it's a little disingenuous because I think that's like if the car is already in there and stopped, then from the time, I don't know if it's from the time the guns first touch the wheels until I they're back know. off of there, but it's like, when you think, you know, when you think about it, yeah, all the time the car just coming in and stopping and making sure he's lined up straight and the the, the launch from out of there or whatever. But anyway, yeah, so everyone practicing their pit stops and uh, and getting rubber down and all that. And also a first chance to see the, uh, the newly reconfigured track. It's got an extra half a mile with an extra like nine turns in it. It's uh kind of a ridiculous little stretch of asphalt that um, doesn't offer any passing opportunities at all and is really, really bumpy. But at the end of practice two, which was the end of the day Friday, it was Nico Rosberg on top in the Mercedes GP team. In second place was Lewis Hamilton in the McLaren Mercedes. And in third place was Michael Schumacher, that guy, that old guy from the 90s. That old guy. In the Mercedes car. Those were the top three. Fourth place was Jensen Button. So it was all Mercedes top four. The uh, top non-Mercedes there was uh, Sebastian Vettel in fifth. And then just to run down a few more, it was Nico Hulkenberg in sixth, Felipe Massa seventh, Vitaly Petrov. I don't know if I did the first name right. Close enough. In the Renault, he's the first Russian to ever be in Formula 1. That's always cool. Fernando Alonso in ninth, and Pedro de la Rosa in tenth. He's also quite old, apparently 39 years. <laughs> And that brings us into Saturday, where obviously we had our the morning warm up uh, and into qualifying. And uh, first of all, um, just to mention, you know, so for, for Q1, um, Karen Chantok in the HRT um, did not get to run at all on Friday. He did not get to run in Saturday morning uh, practice. They were like missing a wheel or something. It was he had something all kinds basic. of issues. And uh, and so his first laps, his you know, first laps in a Formula One car were ever during qualifying. I mean, it's <laughs> it's pretty wild. And uh, and it was 11 seconds off the pace in Q1. I mean, he didn't make it out of Q1. But, but I really think we should say only 11 seconds off the pace. He was in the slowest car. Lord knows what was going to happen. He didn't had a, he hadn't had a seat fitting yet. I mean, I so mean, just <laughs> nothing. Yeah, so I give that guy a lot of credit for Tons uh, of credit. for for coming out and and you know not not spinning it or you know I don't know stalling it or whatever just to do a, a solid job. And it is kind of amazing. I mean, all the cars obviously have to build, be built within the same rules, and he's got the same Cosworth engine as a lot of the other teams. Um, but still, I mean, to 
you know, completely different cars being built by completely different teams of engineers from all over the world and all that. And then they come to the same track and to be within 11 seconds of a lap time yeah. um, over a, you know, a two minute lap um, is, is still pretty impressive. So I, I give, I give Karen Shandok a lot of credit uh, and all that, but a couple other uh, interesting notes from qualifying. I mean, there were talks of uh, Red Bull was hacksawing at their barge boards to get better cooling. Yes. Uh, there. So it's sort the of the fine art of aerodynamics. Yeah. It's like the Adrian Newey car and it's all beautiful and it's all tested and all made it work. And they're like, Oh no, we're not getting enough cooling yet. I could saw a piece of the carbon off well they're like that's how hot here holy crap <laughs> yeah you cut that stuff yeah, off their testing was so cold and wet and everything in, in spain um but at the same time i think i think that was definitely a case of the aerodynamicist kind of taking over too much control of the team's preseason schedule should have been i think christian been. horner should have tightened the reins up a bit and said no 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 we need to we need a robust test some of this stuff yes um so then you know by uh by the end of the day though i mean we had um you know, Jensen Button, reigning world champion, just barely squeaking into Q3. I mean, he ended up 10th. He was, like, right on the bubble. I mean, yeah. you know, it's, you know, at the end of Q2, he's 10th. Yes. And, um, yes, he made me nervous because he was doing exactly what uh, every Jensen Button fan was fearing, which was underperforming compared to Lewis Hamilton by a yeah. couple of tenths pretty consistently. And then, uh, so, but he made it through there. But also, um, w- and with the new rules and everything, um, the... The tires you finish Q3 with, if you make it to Q3, are the tires you start the race with. And so I was curious to see what teams would take, what uh, what approaches with that. And actually, Adrian Sutil, who did a great job to get into Q3, um, ended up starting 10th. Um, but he was the only one on the harder of the two compounds. He decided, you know, sort of as a strategic move to, you're going to lose some pace in qualifying, but to start the race and uh, presumably do a longer stint and uh, pick up some positions. Um, was the only guy out of the top 10, was 10th. Um, that uh, actually decided to start on the uh, on the harder tires. Right, made good sense. To make good sense. However, uh, at the end of the day, it was Sebastian Vettel who just put in a wicked, wicked fast time, a one fifty four point one oh one to get the pole. He was followed by both Ferraris, Felipe ahead of Fernando, um, Felipe with a fifty four point two four two. Really, the only one within a spinning distance of Vettel. And then it was pretty far back to Alonso with a 54-6. Um, uh, qualifying fourth was Hamilton. Fifth, Rosberg. Sixth, Mark Webber and the other Red Bull. And then it was Michael Schumacher all the way back in seventh. A lot of talk about, oh, it's an understeering car. And Michael Schumacher likes neutral to oversteering cars. He's also old. Uh, in eighth <laughs> place, Jensen Button uh, in the other McLaren, still out, being outperformed by Hamilton. Ninth place, Kubica in the Renault, and as Jim already mentioned, it was Adrian Sutil in 10th, but he was on the primary tire. Right, and then uh, the last runners of Q2, and and again, I remember with... um well, with pre- with last year, you know, you had to start with the fuel you had on board in Q3, and so the guy in 11th spot kind of had the, the advantage of seeing what happened before him and possibly doing a heavier f- race and whatever. Now it's that you can choose the tires, and, and you know, the, the guy in 11th spot and whether sort of the best of the rest as far as being able to choose tires and uh, maybe get some strategic advantage. But uh, we had Rubens Barrichello in 11th, followed by Tonio Liuzzi in the other Force India, Nico Hulkenberg, the highest qualifying rookie um, in the Williams, and then Pedro de la Rosa, Sebastian Buemi, Kamui Kobayashi, um, Vitaly Petrov, who did make it into Q2. Good for him and the uh, and the other Renault. Yes, sir. Um, and then out in Q1 um, were 
Uh, Jaime Algashwari was actually the only one of the uh, sort of established teams in the yep. STR. And then all the new ones. And then, yeah, Timo Glock in the in the Virgin, uh, both Lotuses, Yarno and Hecky, Lucas Degrassi in the Virgin, Cosworth, Bruno Senna in the uh, HRT, and then Karun Chantok getting the slowest time. Like we mentioned, only about an 11 point, or, uh, 10, 10 to 11 second spread from top to bottom. Um, which I mean, considering you know, everything, we, we, yeah. But we were used to. I mean, but even across uh, the established teams, I mean, if you look at the the Q two and Q three times, it's more of a spread than we're used to. I mean, when you look at uh, you know Michael Schumacher being what a second and a half off of pole time and all that, it's not as close as it used to be. I mean, it certainly you, you could have you know one point two seconds covering the whole field pretty much. And and there's a lot of reasons for that. It's a brand new track uh, with a new half mile worth of stuff that they added in. Uh, it's. It's the first race of the season, and the cars were pretty new compared to last year. Not as big of a change from 08 to 09, but you know, having to have a longer fuel base, shorter, uh, uh, a narrow front tire, yep. and um, and a full tank of fuel. I mean, there was enough things that there's no going to be a bigger discrepancy. <laughs> so, and with the drivers coping with these discrepancies, so there it is. However, that was qualifying. It's time for the main event, the race. One of the most highly anticipated race starts of a generation with ancient nomadic warrior Michael Schumacher racing today's infantile titans of Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel for the first time in history finally occurred after several anxious, conjecture-filled months. Sadly, the race did not live up to the hype. In fact, save for two, albeit critical exceptions, the top drivers largely maintained their respective starting positions at the finish. The two notable exceptions being... Alonso's well-executed lap one pass on Ferrari teammate Felipe Massa, and perhaps more crucial, Sebastian Vettel's late race engine troubles that cost him 13 championship points. Alas, the dream pairing of Fernando Alonso and Scuderia Ferrari proved dominant for the main event as the Spaniard cruised to victory at the Bahrain Grand Prix. Felipe Massa followed in second to secure a Ferrari 1-2. Best of the rest started with the Mercedes-Benz customer team, McLaren, as Lewis Hamilton made the podium. Sebastian Vettel limped the fast but unreliable Red Bull home fourth. In fifth place came the other German at the Mercedes GP team, Nico Rosberg, ahead of his teammate, the record-hoarding Michael Schumacher. Seventh place was reserved for reigning world champion and Braun GP expat, Jensen Button. He beat Mark Webber to the line. The Italian, Vit Antonio Liuzzi, impressed in the Force India machine, finishing ninth. He was followed by the old man Rubens Barrichello, the spry Brazilian benefiting from the new point system, collecting one point for Williams in 10th. Jim, Fernando, Ferrari, your thoughts? Yeah, Ferrari had a lot to prove this weekend, and they really did. I mean, there was uh, part of it was um, us against the rest, some of these new teams or whatever, which they didn't really pose much of a challenge. Um, they had to sort of prove that they were that signing Alonso was a better deal than uh, obviously having anything to do with Michael Schumacher and being able to you know outperform their old guys. Uh, and they they I mean with a one two victory, uh, it, obviously the results don't get any better than that. Um, I I don't think it would have been a one two if it hadn't been for for Vettel's issues. But I do think uh, you know from all the accounts. Fernando is just a really good fit in the team, um, and everyone says, "Oh, it feels like he's been here for years already, even though he's brand new." Uh, and in a way, it seems like more kind of digs at Kimi, like he never really fit in with the yeah, culture of the team. I, I, and, I would agree with that and all for that. Sure. So it's kind of like, yeah, whatever. You know, we we like Kimi as a driver and all that. But, oh well, uh, it's it's funny though. I remember very distinctly that when Kimi Raikkonen first came to Ferrari from McLaren, he said, 
oh, Kimi Raikkonen feels so much more at home here. It's so much better than McLaren and all that. And it's like, oh, we're so happy to have him. And Kimi Raikkonen won his first race with Ferrari. And they were touting how great it was. So there are actually a lot of parallels between Raikkonen and uh, Fernando. However, I think the key difference between Raikkonen and Alonso is Alonso's ability to deal with a crummy car and get the most of it. If Kimi has gold, he makes really, really shiny gold. If Kimi has crap, he just doesn't do anything with it. Yeah. And I think Alonso will do a lot more to polish that turd and get the best out of it that he can. So, um, And I think Alonso probably is a better communicator in terms of this is what I want out of the car. Please help me get it. Right. Well, I wanted to mention, too, I mean, actually, Ferrari changed the engines in both cars after qualifying and before the race, uh, which they can do this year without penalty just because they've got a set number of eight uh, engines for the entire season, and so they don't get a penalty uh, in, until they get to the you know they start using the ninth engine or beyond. Um, so they they said that after qualifying they saw abnormalities in Massa's engine and wanted to check into that a little bit, and then they sort of looked into data for Alonso's and saw those same abnormalities. So we don't know what the details are on that, but uh, they did use uh, a second engine so far. Although they said the engines that they used for practice and qualifying this weekend, they may be able to uh, rebuild a little bit and. Uh, use them for practice or something in future races. So it may not be a total loss as far as those engines, but it is kind of wild. It's like the right. reliability, um, you know, maybe not quite what they needed to be, but obviously the cars were good enough to hold on today. Better um, than Red Bulls, better than Renault's. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, both of them, truthfully, I mean, you know, Weber's, Weber's Red Bull was spewing all kinds of, white smoke at the beginning of the race still don't know what that was yeah i think he pressed the, the the oil slick button or the or yeah the, like, exactly like yeah, go was, go gadget oil slick and lo- then and then vettel's exhaust fell off and that made the car not sound as pretty and also slowed it down a bit so. right so i'm sure it was a tough decision for the very first race out of the gate to to change two engines you know have both drivers use use up uh, two out of their uh out of their eight engines but uh then they came back with this result so i guess you can't argue with uh, with the success there um but I mean, yeah, I, I just and there's going to be cooler races. There's going to be races that are easier on the engines for sure. That they might be able to make use of those uh, other plants, right? Uh, but I mean, it was it was nice to see. Um, you know, and it's been interesting, sort of seeing you know Schumacher uh, hanging out down at the Ferrari paddock a little bit, and some of the testing, and sort of you know running into his old team guys there and all that. And you always kind of wonder how you know when, when a, a big name driver like Alonso switches teams from from Renault to Ferrari, how that's going to be, and sort of you know are they all going to be cordial with each other? Is it going to be a whole new rivalry and whatever? So you know, seeing seeing Alonso, he really looked. You know, he looks at home, you know, in the car, I guess. Yeah, it's, oh, sure. It's, oh, sure. Um, and, he, and he drove fantastically. I mean, yeah, let's not... Yeah, it was, you know, some of this, uh, some of Alonso's kind of just um, on-track moves or whatever, you know, just the way, uh, you know, the way warming the tires up, you know, and, and doing different And the things. way he handled Massa on lap one. Yeah. I mean, that was a, a beautifully executed pass. Yeah, one of the few on-track passes, actually. Yes, but, uh, yes. You know, he, he was... You know, made the pass without forcing the issue, but still sort of made it count and uh, and ended. You know, got a got a good start and and went on from there. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it was it was a a, a solid drive. Um, and like like I mentioned, you know, I think if, if it weren't for Vettel's issues, uh, that they would have been second and third, which is still respectable. But um, you know, so they were certainly helped by that unreliability. But uh, you know, good job Ferrari to uh, make the right calls in in the reliability department right. and uh, for the drivers to hold on and and it, frankly. Let's not forget Massa. I mean, to come back from everything that's happened to him in the last year uh, and to, uh, you know, obviously his re- recovery and all that, um, he's back in the car and it seems like, you know, pretty much as sharp yeah. as ever, except yep. for losing out that one position to Alonso. Same, same old, same old Massa. I he's mean, just... and Massa himself mentioned, hey, this is the best finish I've had at the first race of the year. 
ever. So I actually yeah. uh, don't have too much to complain about. I'm usually somewhere languishing in the back in the first race. He's I don't had know some why. off and on starts. Yeah, so year, so he was composed. He kept his head down, as they say, and uh, he he finished very well. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think Massa's comeback was uh, well deserved, and I think he did a great job. I think uh, also let's keep in mind though this shouldn't it isn't too surprising because like Braun from 2008. Ferrari scrapped their car pretty early in 2009 and said we're going to focus on the 2010 car. Yes. So really, for a lot of for a lot of reasons, this car should be fast, and the fact that it is is more of a justification other than a, a big comeback or a big surprise. I think so. Uh, I think that's important to bear in mind, but uh, it, it shouldn't take away from what they did. Uh, this could be, and it's a little early to say, but this could be the first year where they're really getting out of the. Jean Todd, Ross Braun, Michael Schumacher, era shell, and really reemerging themselves as a next generation Ferrari. I think ultimately, no one's going to argue that Fernando and Massa is a very strong combination. Yeah. Um, in in the car, and uh, so I, I think they're well positioned, and I think the new the new um, generation of managers and engineers are are really starting to, um, you know set their footing and, 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 and do well. I agree. And speaking of a whole new generation, uh, we've got to talk about Jermaine Schumacher and the Mercedes Grand Prix team. So obviously, <laughs> the new old generation. Yeah. He's so old. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess you and the rest of the media just can't get enough of Did making. Did you know that when Michael Schumacher was six, all the other Formula One drivers didn't even exist? They weren't even <laughs> sperm. <laughs> he's so old yeah all this talk about how you know i mean Gashwari, how he was what 18 months old when schumacher started racing Did you know it's like that all right okay he's Lewis old Hamilton we get it still Our, played you know, with his rattle when schumacher won his first gp yeah did you know that, you that know jensen Button right. didn't all learn right. how to ride a bike until after michael schumacher won his fourth race all statistics right. Y'all set with the uh, the Schumacher age? Stuff. I might have one more. Okay, go on. Fair enough. So, I mean, that's half of the story right there is like all the hype and oh, he's going to come back and he's going to dominate, or oh no, he's going to come back and be terrible because he's so old and he's out of practice and everyone else is going to be better than him. And, and the guess cars what? Are he did neither. Yeah, I mean, it was. Um, <laughs> I just, mean, it, okay, so it is a huge deal. Let's not. We're not trying to belittle the fact that it's a huge deal. We just thought it was humorous that. It was his age that kept getting brought up over and over and over again. Yeah. More important to us is the fact that he's won 91 races. He's won seven world championships, and he had a 14-year relationship with Ferrari. And all of that, you know, the all that after three years of retirement, coming back completely reemerging re and coming out as this Mercedes driver, it's it's extremely fascinating. Yeah, it's, it's certainly a big deal, and... You know, just there's, I'm sure, a lot of confused, uh, you know, Ferrari slash Schumacher fans. You know, yes. like, oh, Michael Schumacher, Ferrari. They're like, wait a minute. Now there's Ferrari. There's Michael Schumacher. What? You know? Yeah. And, I wonder how many uh, F430s were traded in for, you know, CLs yeah, <laughs> the last exactly. month or two. And uh, it's, it's, it's funny when, uh, when you get the changes around like that. But it's, I mean, I, yeah. So he came back and he was kind of okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah. I, I think it's going to, it's going to take a little bit of time for him to really get back up to speed. But considering that he's been out of the sport for three years, considering the performance level of Mercedes, he did although a fantastic the, job. Although at the same time, if you know, if anyone can get the best out of any car, it should be him because he's Mister Formula One. I right, mean, he's Mister right. Best Driver Ever and whatever. However, there was um, 
another driver in an identical car who did better than him. Yes, Nico Rosberg. And I think I've, I've always thought pretty highly of Nico. I remember his very first race with Williams. I was, I was really impressed with him. I think he finished seventh. He had the fastest lap of the race. We're like, oh, my God, this kid's amazing. And uh, then from there on, it never really it never, went to the never next level like we wanted it to. Him, yeah. But he was very competitive last year. And I was nervous for him with all the attention Schumacher was getting that it was going to get to Nico, and it just didn't. Nico was the fastest at the end of the afternoon on Friday. He qualified strongly, and he finished the race, I believe, in fifth, in fifth or fourth or fifth place. So, no, it was fifth place. Yeah. He finished right behind Vettel. So he did a great job. And ahead of Schumacher. Ahead of Schumacher. Yeah. He beat his teammate. He outqualified his teammate. He had a faster lap than his teammate. I mean, he did everything a teammate needs to do. Yeah, and it's it's kind of wild. I mean, looking at the uh, you know the the team leader in in, uh, in sort of the, you know the, the main driver and the, and the secondary driver, and uh, obviously you know it was uh, Alonso being secondary driver behind Massa who finished first, um, and then we had Nico Rosberg secondary driver behind Michael Schumacher, and it was the other way around for Red Bull. I mean, Vettel is their lead driver and all that, but uh, yeah, I mean it's. I, I give a lot of credit to to Rosberg for sort of standing up to the hype and performing well, and I think it's been, if if anything, kind of a reality check for everyone who is expecting either something amazing or something terrible for Michael Schumacher. It's like, yeah, he is amazing in Formula One. He has an amazing record. Um, for those some love him, some hate him, or whatever. But at the end of the day, um, he is just another driver. He, it's just another car. You know, there's right. not magic right. pixie dust around him that's going to cause other people to crash off the course or whatever. <laughs> I mean, it's you know, it's it's he's another driver and he's competitive, but not magic. He's, he does. He's not running away from the field. I mean, these other drivers are, are legitimately good, and uh, and that's that. So uh, it was, you know, a couple of moments that they make a big deal of, oh, this is what Lewis Hamilton has always wanted, is to see Michael Schumacher in his mirrors and all that. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. It's a little bit like, okay, okay. Okay, quick correction. Michael Schumacher actually did have a faster lap. His, faster lap, his fastest lap was faster than Nico's by three hundredths of a second. I, I said that, and I said, ooh, I need to double-check that, and I was wrong. All right, but okay, which I think leads us into the next topic as well, which is um, how the rule changes and everything have affected the racing. And one of those ways is the fastest lap, okay? And uh, in a word, poorly. Based on what we've seen so far. So, real quick, so obviously everyone starts on full fuel. Um, and full total race, you know, distance fuel. Every, so everyone is on the same fuel load for right. the entirety of the race. There's, a lot. There are not a these, lot of fuel. There are not these, pounds worth, roughly. <laughs> there are not these moments where someone just came out of the uh, came out of the pits and he's got fresh tires, but they're cold. But he's got you know more fuel on board, and there's someone else who's lighter. You know, there's, there's performance disparities, which a lot of times bring you passes and interesting moves and things like that. Right. You don't have that. So fastest lap. It kind of doesn't matter. I mean, there's not like like everyone's getting faster over the course of the race because they're getting lighter. But the trend was pretty clear. Yeah, and like the fastest lap was on lap 45 of 49 was Alonso's. Um, but at the same time, your tires are wearing off as the race goes on, so it almost balances out. And that none of the laps are all that fast. Right. And and, and every lap, I mean, the fastest lap uh, in the race was still over three seconds off the pole time. The previous day, which I, I still can't come to terms with. Yeah. Um, I guess I guess they just the very they had no brand new tires left. Yeah. And so by the time the car was actually light enough on fuel, the tires were pretty well worn out. So they are that much slower. But the the other thing I, that I thought to me was a bit of an unintended consequence that really kind of sucks is if you qualified outside of the top ten 
you could have whatever fuel load you wanted. So if you wanted to load up, go really light, whatever you want to do, you could do it. And that would make a big difference I mean, in someone time. could really come back from low positions and throughout their you yeah. know, and, rotation, and, come back you know, and do really well. Fernando Alonso, example, made really good use of that. And Rubens used to do that. Yeah, I mean, there Absolutely. some, yeah. But this time, the fact that you can start with a fresh set of rubber, when you're on a full tank of fuel, it doesn't matter that much. And that fresh set of rubber gets worn out fast. And in fact, we heard a lot about... Uh, on Friday practice, you know, four laps go by on a full tank of fuel, and all, and drivers get on the radio and say uh, the tires are spent. Yeah. So uh, the advantage, the the little bump you get from qualifying outside the top ten to help you out is almost worthless. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. I mean, and we, you know, we always like the uh, the disparity, and you know, we we talked about in the past. You know, the difference between the prime and option should be something where you know a slower car with better tires can really make a difference. Right, and second a lap or more, and it's still like just a chore. Like, oh, we have to do a pit stop right. so we can have those tires and those tires. And they gave, and they kind of went away from the skipping the step thing. So they had soft and super soft, not you know, not medium and super soft, or soft and hard, or anything like that. Right. So, so it was it was almost meaningless. Yeah, and and so you know I was with pit stops being really really short and the advantage of fresh tires being you know presumably greater. Um, I was thinking there might even be more pit stops. I mean maybe a four stop race could be competitive because you could keep fresh rubber on the car and really push harder and all that. Um, and it maybe it's sort of a byproduct of the the track and just the arrangement and all that. Um, or also I think more likely um, the teams are going to try different things as time goes on and sort of figure out what works best within the new rules. But Pretty much everyone, I don't know, you know, did a did the one stop race, and they, you know, started yeah. started on the softs, right. switched they, over. They to the did hards. the math, and the math said fewer fewer pit stops is better. And you know that first round or the round of pit stops was exciting. I mean, seeing the cars Absolutely. come in and mechanics just tearing through this, and actually both McLarens, um, you know, passed the, the the car in front of them during the pits. I mean, the McLaren team really seemed to have just their pit stops down brilliantly. Yeah. Um, and the other top teams did as well. And the, and the younger teams, you could definitely see the yeah, pressure. Yeah, and I was actually just going to say that you, HRT had a nine and a half second pit stop <laughs> just to change the tires, and you could see. It it kind of just showed that it's not as easy as it looks. Yeah. And everyone knows that intellectually, but to see HRT struggle with it so much. Yeah. And it still only took, if you think about it, changing a set of tires in nine seconds. Okay, that's still extremely impressive. But to see how much they struggled with it compared to the top teams. When the other teams are doing it yeah. two and a half and or you whatever. Could, yeah. Yeah, it, was, it was obvious why, you know, the entire time that McLaren and Ferrari were practicing pit stops, HRT was putting the car together yeah. and not sleeping. So, Indeed. I mean, the fact that they even got four tires on and the lugs tight, good for them. Yeah, and then some. And so some of the other uh, the things that the, the rules have brought to us, um, you know, we've got you can't do the, the wheel spats anymore, right? To try to get air, suck air out of the wheels and uh, or, you know through the brakes and, and help your brake cooling. So you know those those fixed panels on the outside of the wheels, you can't have those anymore. So Ferrari have gone to BBS and said, hey, why don't you you know cast these vents into the wheels for us, and that way we'll kind of get the same effect of it. You know, we're already seeing some yeah. clever solutions. Yeah. And one we haven't mentioned yet is the whole McLaren snorkel, sure, uh, which is a very interesting aerodynamic device apparently just came up you know some uh some guy at the factory or you know one of the designers was like hey wait a minute you know it's not really a movable aerodynamic device but right um and this this is interesting so there's a, a little snorkel a kind of a vent uh air inlet on the top of the car kind of uh, between where the front wheels uh, attach yeah on, uh, on the front of the car yeah right on top of the car and uh and you know just a, a, a little uh, kind of a ram air intake, which goes through a passage, and I don't think anyone's confirmed this, but the the, the understanding is um, there is then a, a spot in the cockpit where the driver can either um, 
let air come into the cockpit through that through that hole, or he can kind of block it with his knee or some kind of a little right. rubber bladder, yep. some kind of a little you know cushion in there. Um, and if he does block it, then it sends air out through a passageway uh, into a slot in the rear wing. Um, so it affects the aerodynamics of the rear wing, actually causing it to stall and produce less downforce, but also less drag. The idea being you kind of push your knee up against the edge of the car during the straightaways. You get less downforce. You don't need it on the straightaways. You get speed you up. And they, they say, say it, they claim it's worth six miles an hour. Right. And it's a really clever solution. It was deemed legal because those cars passed tech inspection and, uh, and were allowed to run the race. I guess it's the FIA. Anything could happen. You know, maybe, sure. maybe it's McLaren. They might be disqualified for the next 10 years. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, it's interesting because it's... And fine, $50,000. Yeah, because it's not... Setting a car It's not fire. an aerodynamic device that's moving. I mean, there's nothing, air, there's nothing that touches air on the car that's, that's really moving. It's the I driver moving. I think it's a clever it. it's, workaround of the rules. It is. But what's also interesting about it is that because of the way that the... Uh, the snorkel was actually mounted in the nose of the car. This is not something that other teams can just put on their car and say, oh, let's try it. They have to actually, you know, it's built into the monocoque, so they have to re-crash test a new monocoque. Yeah, which I, which I thought was very cool because that's a real – that's a real gotcha moment for the other teams. It's right. not – I mean that's harder than a rear diffuser to yeah. add on to your car if it proves effective. And and I think, um, you know, like, like Ferrari's uh, solution with the BBS wheels of having the uh, having the vents cast into the wheels, I think everyone can go out and do yeah, that. Yeah, that's I don't know if much more race, easy to repeat. But, you know, yeah. yeah, a new set of wheels, you know, different design on that. That's not that's not a huge deal. But, uh, you know, this, this uh, snorkel thing – and. So, I mean, yeah, Lewis Hamilton, um, you know, finished fourth today – sorry, third today, uh, just ahead of Vettel. And, uh, you know, it's hard to say how much of a difference it made here. I mean, I could see it making a different, different, bigger difference. It's, you know, Monza or one of these real high-speed tracks right, sure, or whatever. Sure. Um, and, of course, we'll have to see if there is controversy. I mean, there has been controversy, but if there is actually any kind of FIA repercussions yeah, So far, they've this. been deemed legal. Yeah. And, like, hey, we're going to look at these after Bahrain. It's no big deal. They're legal for now, blah, blah, blah. So I don't think anything worse – case that can happen for mclaren is they're told they can't use it anymore yeah. at this point and they're suspended for 10 years and find a million and dollars fine, and yeah, yeah. A gazillion dollars but so on the whole though i mean whether it's because of bahrain as just being the track that it is or the new rule changes or or whatever this really worked out to be a fairly dull race quite dull quite dull it was it was cautious because people were managing their tires it was long. It was an hour and 40 minutes long instead of the usual hour and 20, hour and 25. And, and, for, uh, and all green flag running, too. Very right? little yeah. passing. Yes, all green flag running. Oh, exciting pit stops, but there was only one per team. Yeah. Uh, not what we hoped for. Yeah. So, um, you know, we mentioned the finishing positions in the race report, but I did want to, uh, to mention, you know, Karen Chandok, uh, our new sort of uh, up-and-coming hero, um, fitted, completed one lap, uh, but then had a problem after that and uh, it lost the f- whole front wing and part of the front chassis and all that but and had to retire. poor guy had a tough go. We're definitely going to wait to pass judgment on this. Right. So, and as a lot of people online and everything are saying, uh, you know, the season doesn't really start until Australia anyway. So, and this did almost feel like more of a test session, you know, it was kind of a, like, we'll do some testing. We'll do it. We'll see how qualifying is going to work. Oh, and then we'll do this parade for the rate. Like, you know, yeah, there was kind of the drama with the Red Bull and all that, but, uh, I, I do almost want to just treat this as a test session, um, although I'm sure Ferrari's happy. Which got... is exactly what Virgin and Lotus and HRT did. Yeah. yeah they, that's, that's what they did. And uh, of those teams, um, both the Virgins retired, uh, both the BMW Sauber Ferraris retired. Um, the, the I'm sorry, the what? The BMW Sauber Ferraris. I see. Yes. I see. Clearly. Is is the left bank BMW and the right bank Ferrari? Is that how that goes? Has, has that is to an do interesting with, partnership. Has nothing to do with BMW at all. <laughs> 
just a, it's a remnant of times gone by. Um, but the, both, but both Lotuses did finish. I mean, you know, kudos to them for actually uh, you know making it through the entire race. Which Michael Gascoigne for them is a, is a real. big deal. But yeah, the, so the Virgins, the HRTs, the BMWs did not, and uh, Vitaly Petrov and the Renault um, did not finish. He had a suspension problem as well. Um, I mean, so uh, yeah, I mean, I guess. Uh, we are looking forward to Australia. We are very much looking forward to Australia. Australia traditionally gives us pretty exciting races. So if Australia's dull, we'll have a much clearer indication if it was the rules and if it's exciting than when it was maybe then just Bahrain sucks. Because uh, Bahrain was never the most exciting race, but they, the, they added these nine additional turns and a half mile. And, uh, boy, it just bogged everything down. And it was bumpy. Yeah. The, I mean, some of the uh, – for new pavement, for as new a track as that is, I mean, there's really no reason it shouldn't be a nice, smooth, wide, proper circuit. And uh, to see some of the bumps and a couple of times where, you know, like Bruno Senna, you know, lost in Nico pretty – Hulkenberg. Yeah, Hulkenberg. I mean, these yeah. guys had a couple of issues where it really got crossed up uh, going over the bumps. And I'm surprised there actually weren't more, more issues. But, uh, yeah, so – I'm not we're both I guess not huge fans of Bahrain, but uh, it is what it is. The the season has started, and uh, you know we're we're in this. And uh, <laughs> you know Ferrari's got forty three points on the board, which sounds wild because now the points start at twenty five points for yeah, first, twenty five so, points for first, eighteen you know, points for second, fifteen for third, yeah, and on down all the way to tenth. You get one point for tenth, indeed. So uh, hey, you've heard what we have to say. Let's uh, let's hear a bit of from the listeners. Yes, that's right. It is listener feedback, our favorite part of the show. First of all, well over 500 fans on the Facebook page. Awesome. Yes. We, Absolutely we amazing. Thank you guys so much. Thank for, you uh, so much. For visiting that. If you haven't yet joined, uh, certainly just go to F1show.com. There's, there's all the, the Facebook stuff. The new stuff. and improved yeah, F1show.com. We, we, we did some work on it over the offseason. Uh, we, 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 you're being bashful. Jim. Jim Lau. Did some amazing work with inspiration from Mr. Robin Warner. I am inspiring. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So uh, just because you can become a fan of us right there, you can follow us on Twitter. We've got all the information right on our website, f1show.com. But do keep in mind, Twitter is stupid. Yeah. Okay. If you're old. Um, <laughs> so okay. So a couple of things. I, I mentioned. You know, I'm actually. Uh, I mentioned this on the Facebook page, but I'll, I'll say it here as well on, on the show. Um, I just booked all my information, all the, the tickets and everything for uh, the Canadian Grand Prix 2010. I am going now that that is all confirmed and there. Um, and actually, I get married the week and prior to that, so that's actually going to be part of my honeymoon. Is uh, we get married on Sunday or we get married on Saturday, and then uh, go out and hang out the following week. Yeah, right and there I'm going to be the grooming man. Uh, what, what do I have to groom anyway? You know, you're, you're part of it. Um, <sighs> I'm and, a little uh, nervous. But I hope yeah, it's not the dog. Going to uh, going to Montreal and uh, going to take part in the, in the race weekend and all that. Um, and we got a couple of cheeky comments from you guys. Uh, they from were so cheeky at. Uh, I'd pin exit on Twitter. I don't know how to really say that. Uh, pin Peter Oliver and Paul Peard. There were some uh, some cheeky comments about pole position and hitting the wall of champions and all kinds of different things that I some make sense and some don't. Let's just leave it at that. But Peter and Paul, they're awesome, dude. They're like they're like the superstars of the Facebook page. Right. So we've got a couple of our Facebook regulars. Paul Peard, uh, definitely keeping the page fresh. Uh, you know, James Payne. Uh, you know, we just thank you guys for uh, for showing up there and uh, and doing all that and. You know, certainly still Brendan James Cronk having sent us the most stuff is still by far still I mean, number fan, one fan. Fantastic stuff. Yes. We love stuff. Um, but uh, so just a, a little shout. He's still kind of the, you know, he's 
reigning the best Formula One F1 show best fan F1 ever. show fan um, times a million. But again, uh, just uh, you know, you can follow us on Twitter. We are at the F1 Show. Uh, just go to Facebook.com/slash F1 Show if you want. But by far the easiest thing uh, is just go to F1 Show.com. Right in your browser, you can you can listen to the shows right there. You can post comments and feedback, and, download uh, the show, and see the rest of uh, the rest of these other things we got going on. That's where so, all the pretty uh, girls hang out. Check it out, and uh, we'll have uh, you. You could be featured in a future episode of the F1 Show. Hopefully soon. Trivia, 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 trivia. Ah, yes, it is trivia. And after a long time without having anything to ponder, we have something new for you. I'm a little worried that our fans' brains may have gone to mush with all this lack of the trivia and all the all the everything. And good news, here we are. I thought of that, so it's an easy one. Okay. <laughs> it is a pretty easy question. So we're going to warm up for the season. We're going to build up to the All right. more challenging three-parters that we've seen in the past. Yes. The question is, Fernando Alonso's race win today ended a long absence from the top step. When was the last time Alonso won, and how many races was his winless streak until Bahrain? There it is. There you go. So Entirely doable. So it is a two-parter, but it's a it fairly a two straightforward two-parter. There is one part and then a second. Indeed. But there is there is no, I mean, the trivia, trivia question from last season we also answered, so there's nothing from last week. So we're just starting the new season with something bold and fresh and not that difficult. There you go. Alrighty, that must mean it's time for predictions, and uh, obviously the last show where we did predictions was last year. Lots have changed since last year, so uh, some, True. some predictions may hold well and some may not. But we actually have something cool and new for this year's prediction. Yes. We have a model. Yes, and not one of those you know fashion models or anything cool like that. It's a statistical model. Yes! And a whole, and a whole system. We've, uh, we're super nerds, obviously. So, okay, no, here's the deal. Jim and I are nerds. We, we admit that. We, we, we fully embrace that fact. In fact, my voice even cracks during a podcast. However, I have a friend that's even nerdier than I am who said, why don't you guys do a statistical model and test yourselves against it? And so we said, that's stupid. So are we any better at predicting with our quote-unquote insight and information right. than just a real simple statistical model? So we came up with a model with the following rules, and the rules are simple. The model states that the winner of the first race of this year was the championship winner from last year. And that's for both pole position and the race win. And then moving forward, the model says that the winner for the next race and the pole position for the next race will be the winner of this race. So it's as simple as that. And pole position from this race. race. Yes. So it's as simple as that. As we go along the season, we'll continue to explain the model. I think it will become clear as we go. But also, into this, with the magic of Microsoft Excel... That's the one with the boxes, right? That's the one with the boxes. Nice. Very good. We have come up with a point system to automatically calculate a, a competition between Jim and I. Who's done better? And it's like golf. The lowest score wins. It's like golf, except way cooler. <laughs> way cooler. And more action. Yes. So... Uh, basically how it's going to go is Jim's going to predict pole. I'm going to predict pole. Jim's going to predict race winner. I'm going to predict race winner. How far off we are for each, for each thing will be points accrued. Right. So, so for I, each, if you predict exactly correctly, you'd have zero points. Correct. Okay. So, um, lower the points, better, better the prediction and we win. Yeah. 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 How'd we do? 
Okay. So we actually did predict last year after Abu Dhabi, we predicted who would win this year's races. Um, Jim, you predicted Fernando Alonso on pole position. Oh, I didn't get that. No, not so good. Not far off, but didn't get it. However, I brilliantly predicted Lewis Hamilton on pole position. Well, yeah. And he did worse. No. But you predicted Fernando Alonso to win the race. Yeah, Jim Lau, oh, six yes. months before the race. That is remarkably clairvoyant. Yes. And I'm, I'm proud to say that's the first time I've ever beat a model. <laughs> I predicted, on the other hand, uh, Nico Rosberg to win. Um, who didn't. Which would have been great, but no. Didn't no, happen. didn't happen. So the way this works is, Jim, you scored two points for pole position because you were two positions off on your pole position guess and zero points for the win because you were zero points off, so a total of two points. Yes. I was three points off from pole and four points off the win. I had seven, so Jim, you win the first round. And you owe me five Cokes. <laughs> Thus being the difference of yes, your yes. points. Yes, this my... is going to be a lot of sugar or as the season goes something. on. Um, by the way, just since you won this time to save a little face, I'm going to point out that I also went through and ran this whole spreadsheet for last year's predictions and I beat you pretty soundly. Right. Anyway. But it's a new year. But it's a new year. So that doesn't mean anything. Come on. So, uh, our statistical model using the championship points predicted Jensen Button to be on pole and Jensen Button to win the race. The model was off by... Seven from pole position and six from the win. So the model was 13th. So not doing so hot. Ooh. But we're going to see how this goes. This model thing Cause is going to be interesting. Because we ran the numbers for, for, for 09, and the model was, I think, better than us. The model creamed us. Yeah. <laughs> so, Mostly because of Jensen Button's consistency. Yeah, Jensen Button winning every race, the first, you know, first seven races, all but one didn't help us. But um, be that as it may, I think we also have a very cool new feature for predictions. We are every race or at least for now we're thinking every race, we're going, to predict, uh, we're going to put a fan's predictions in our little spreadsheet as well to see how, how the fans did. Yes. And who did we pick this time? Paul Peard. See, it, it pays to be active on the Facebook page. You get noticed. There you go. Paul Peard is the fan choice for this predictions. Paul boldly predicted Massa to be on pole and Alonzo to win the race. So he picked an all-Ferrari pole position and win. And he was... Really close. He only lost one point from pole position, and like you, he had zero points for the win, which means he only scored one point. So actually, go get yourself a coke. The winner of this uh, predictions really was Paul Pierre. Yeah, and a couple other uh, honorable mentions for fan predictions: uh, George Duffy did have Alonso for victory. Uh, James Payne predicted uh, Hamilton, Schumi, Vettel as uh, podium. No, not quite. Um, Peter Oliver had Alonso, Hamilton, Vettel, so he was only off by 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 one on both Hamilton and Vettel positions. So um, we, we do have some people doing some pretty good predictions. We had some uh, a little farther out there predictions as well. Uh, yes. But uh, so be it. Um, but we've got to we got to predict for, for the next race, for Australia and Albert Park and uh, or Melbourne. Um, and I, I, I'm torn between sort of what you want to happen and what you actually think will happen, sure. right? Like I'd love to see Weber do really well. It's Australia, you know, the Red Bull car. For, you know, he didn't do that well against Vettel this weekend. So I'd like to see Weber up there, but uh, frankly, I'm not sure that's going to happen. So uh, I, I think um, Massa will actually get the best of Alonso. Um, I know that a lot of people are, oh, Alonso is a better driving talent, whatever. But eh, I don't know. I just, I, 
whatever. Mazda um, can qualify. Yeah. So I. But actually, who's going to win the race? Well, I don't think. I think the race could be the same kind of a parade situation. So I'm going to put. I actually have Massa going from pole to victory. Look at that. Which, if that were the case, would prove to be a very big inter-rivalry within that team. Indeed. Be very close. Indeed. Now, me being much more intelligent than Jim has predicted uh, more boldly. I'm putting Sebastian Vettel on pole position. Oh, just like a statistical model. Well. Because he's pole this? Okay. Yeah, but, okay, first of all, I helped create the statistical model. So the statistical model is copying me more than me copying Yeah, the yeah, model. whatever. Who do you think is going to win? Alonzo. Oh, just like the model. <laughs> Way to but, go. Okay, hold on. To be fair, to be fair, I honestly thought of this before I realized that that's what the model would predict. But I'm not going to change it just because a model says so. Right. That's dumb. Because, of course, you couldn't remember what the model was saying. So, but, yes, I, I, I am okay. actually matching the model this time, which is could lame. prove boring. But, you know, we'll see. Maybe him and I – him and I. The model's a heat. Uh, maybe him and I will, will be different somehow. You never know. Yeah. <laughs> it could is be. getting late. Already. Uh, we're going to have to figure out exactly what our coverage is going to be for Australia because, unfortunately, I will be out of town during the race weekend. But on only a week after that, we've got the race from China. So we'll, we'll, we'll come at you soon. Yes. We're, I think we are going to try to get something out to you for the Australian Grand Prix. I think it will be a solo run on my part, um, something small, and then we'll be back full force for China. And unfortunately, Jim and I are busy people. This is going to happen a couple times throughout the year. Right. But uh, we'll do what we can. But, uh, you know, for any updates in between, certainly, like we mentioned, go to F1show.com. You can see what we're doing in a variety of ways. Uh, But uh, until then, uh, this has been a great show. And uh, welcome again to the 2010 season. I am Jim Lau. And I'm Robin Warner. And don't forget, we're awesome. The F1 show is hosted by Jim Lau and Robin Warner. Many thanks to our editor, Jim Lau. We couldn't do trivia without our fact finder, Robin Warner. A tip of our hat to our producers, Robin Warner and Jim Lau, as well as our executive producers, Robin Warner and Jim Lau. Of course, a thousand thank yous to our excellent catering service, Restaurants. And finally, we'd like to offer a huge thank you to Bio Bonsai for use of their song Inspector B from the Big Band album for our intro and outro music. The F1 show is brought to you by two Americans who love the sport of F1, Jim Lau and Robin Warner. <laughs>